Well, well, well. Welcome back, Patrick. We are here with another edition of the Gentleman's Dojo. We are in a great mood. It is Memorial Day weekend. Little Foo Fighters. Love this song. I got to tell you, we've been off for a couple of weeks, and I apologize for that because... A lot of people have been writing in, are we on hiatus? Have we canceled the show? Oh, yeah. That no. is not true. We've just been on break. We've it's been like very busy. It's like the government busy. shutting down. I mean, yeah, we're yeah, getting yeah. a lot of emails, a lot of calls. A lot of emails. Yeah. yeah. But maybe people hoping that we were done. I think that's what it not was. Asking. It was wishful. Yeah. <laughs> Even All Things Comedy Network was they like, were oh, don't curious. worry about it. Don't worry They're about like, it. like, hey, are yeah. you guys done? Yeah. Uh, no, but we've been busy. We've been on the road. Yeah. You and I were in Chicago oh, together God, with Chicago. Steve Byrne. All the way to Brea. We went to Brea. Northeast. We just got back. Yeah, yeah. So everything is good. We're doing great. Steve is actually in Columbus, Ohio this weekend. He's working at the Funny Bone. So that is why you and I are here solo. Yes. He's in Columbus. But also, this summer, he's going to be working on that stand-up comedy movie. That's right. With, comedy movie yeah. with just a bunch of it's great quite comics. A, quite a cast, yeah. And the movie is essentially inspired by him doing stand-up in New York before 9-11, how sure. he got started, all this other great stuff. But he's going to be filming it down in Brea over the summer. So he'll have more information about that yeah. as it gets closer. Uh, so we saw him last weekend at the new Brea Improv, the opening of the new club, which was a lot of fun. Great shows. Great shows. So that Phenomenal. was great. But uh, we originally had an author scheduled uh, to come in today to talk about this great new book that he had written, uh, actually a team, yeah. two guys had written about video games and the history of video games. They had to reschedule uh, till next week. So you and I said, hey, let's still do it. Let's yeah. go into the studio. Let's do it. Let you and I catch up. It's been a little while. As we are coming in, we see a buddy of ours who I've known this guy for years and years and years as he's leaving because he has a podcast on this network called Stories That Need to Be Told. And we're like, hey, why don't we just have Mike Young come in, Absolutely. join our podcast on, since he's here. Hello, Michigander. Did you guys know each other in Michigan? We did not. No. Okay. We did not. Uh, but Mike Young has a podcast on this network. He just got done doing his podcast with Doug Ellen. Doug Ellen. Doug Ellen, who is the creator <laughs> yep. of Entourage. Entourage. How great is that? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it was funny because Mike came in. So how about a round of applause yeah, for Mike Young, obviously. Yeah, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. And he is here with Stock Tip Dave. How do you guys know each other? What's the connection? I brought him in. I pay him cash. He's my assistant. He does a great <laughs> job. He's also got stock tips. We met we met Dave at, uh, at Goal Sports Bar. He was running around the bar giving people stock tips. Really? We kept him around. And he does. Uh, he's 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 a good sidekick. So yeah, do you do up. stand up stock tip stop stock tip, Dave? <laughs> no, no stand up. I just kind of just naturally just spew out things that are funny. But if I'm put on the spot, I think I bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they're perfect for this podcast. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's getting guys like Doug Ellen on the That's show from Entourage. We have yep. stock tip, Dave. So this is perfect, guys. The transition. <laughs> uh, we. It's so funny because I will tell you this, and I'm not blowing smoke of any kind. Uh, but I've known Mike for a long, long time. And Mike is one of these guys that you don't get to see that often. Everybody's on the road, traveling in eight different directions. But when you do see Mike, it's like we haven't lost time. We we catch up. No doubt. He's a great guy to see. So much fun. I always love running into you, even if it's once every six months. We don't get to see each other that often. But I will text you when you're on the road and you're doing these great clubs that I wish I was at. But you were just in Phoenix. You work with Bob Saget all the time. What a great gig that is. Great gig. It's got to be – is that one of those gigs that's hard because – you work with him. You get treated so great because you're with him. And then the next week, you're doing a show by yourself. And it's like, hey, where's the great hotel that I was just at? Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> that has been the case. But like the last couple of years, Bob and I have traveled so much steadily. Yeah. That I really haven't been going on my own too much. You know, like I really haven't. And I, and, and I do want to get out there and get out, you know, 
start headlining on my own. But like for a year, that would happen. I'd go with Bob, Thousand Seaters, bang, Ritz Carlton, you know what I mean? Perfect venue, amazing rock star, boom. Next week, I'm in Oklahoma alone. <laughs> that, that has happened, and a semi bit of depression yeah. has, has kicked in from that. But like this last year hasn't been like this last year's been, it's been all Saget. So oddly enough, some of the clubs are now calling me to headline. And it's so crazy because, you know, I've headlined a bunch on my own, but I, when I, I kind of like went into like the writing, directing world for a while and I kind of lost the rhythm of my standup. Right. And I kind of fell out of the game for a second. And like, I'm just kind of reconnecting now, like with the, and I've always, it's always been my heart stand up. So I'm just now getting back focused like hardcore on stand-up to where I want to, you know, break off and headline on my own and do my own thing. But the gig with Saget's amazing. Well, you get this great option. You you have this great thing that goes on because Saget doesn't do the full weekend, so you can come in on Thursday, headline that night, do Friday, Saturday with Saget, and yes. then you headline again on, on, on Sunday night, which is a great thing to have. Perfect. And I'm trying to right. force his agents, who I half call my agents, I'm kind of like forced, trying to force them to do that every city we go to. Yeah, that'd be nice. And it's yep. starting to happen a little bit, but I kind of got to make a little more noise on that. You know, like that—that that is perfect. That would be perfect, but it doesn't always work out like yeah, that. Yeah, whatever it. works for the opener's schedule. Like they're gonna, like that's their focus. <laughs> Do you feel the pressure? I'm making though? them no yeah, money. Yeah, Do you feel the so pressure funny. though of those Thursday Sunday shows to be packed, fun? I mean, because listen, when we both know, we all know that when we feature, it's the greatest gig. It's that middle spot, life 20, in the middle, minutes, no. boom, boom, boom. <laughs> it's the best spot. Now you come back on a Sunday, right after having four great amazing shows doing 20, 25 minutes, and yeah. now you have to anchor the show and make sure there's people there. You know what? I took the pressure off myself because number one, I'm not a big social media guy. So no matter if I went hardcore social media, did everything I could to pack a Sunday house, I still don't think I'm going to move the needle yet. I feel like you got to be a famous name or just have a, you know, just have a big presence online. So I kind of like put more focus into my act. And I just talk to the club and I say, yo, can we, how are we doing on Sunday? I don't even care if they give away tickets because I made my money on the two days with Bob. Right. A little bit extra, maybe yeah. an extra hotel. It's not even so a money you, gig. Do you travel with Bob or you're able to stay at the club an extra night after he leaves? I, I travel with Bob you usually. Okay. But like just recently, they've been like, hey, you come in Thursday headline, you and Bob Friday, Saturday, yeah. and you can headline again Sunday. So I've just been trying to kind of get my headlining muscle back. And you know it's 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 starting to take take flight now, but I don't put pressure on on the Sunday just because it wouldn't help. Is it easy to negotiate the money for that Thursday Sunday, or they're like, this is the money, take it or leave it? I use Bob's agents. You do, yeah. So they work they out handle Thursday, everything Sunday. for me. That's great. They work everything out, so I get an email, you know, whatever a month prior. Here's your whole deal. Is he with Brillstein? Do you know? He is with Brokstein. Okay, yeah, I remember that. And then his agent, and he's with ICM for oh, yeah. booking and all that for talent. Because I think so, it would be funny if you know Mike gets there on a Thursday. He's at the comedy condo. Friday he goes to the Ritz. Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning he's out back at the condo. Like it's great that they set that up, that and so you funny. can have yeah well, that that idea. You know Fultron's story of opening for Tosh. It's a private plane to LAX, and then he has to catch a bus. Well, <laughs> right. And then when they return, he has to catch a bus back to Silver Lake or, or, or Los Feliz. Right. Well, well, you were telling. Me, you know the the whole ups and downs of you know when when you do work with Saget and there's this like grandiose how they take great care of him. But Fulcheron has these great stories yeah. about you know one week he's flying a private plane with Tosh to Vegas, next weekend he's on a Greyhound going from Chicago to Nashville. Yeah. It really is that yeah. up and down. That's of, hilarious. Yeah, 
life in the middle. I always felt like there, there is a documentary idea there somewhere. Like all guys that are openers that have opened yeah. for people like that. Like our lives are a little different because on the performance end of it, we're in a better position. Like I, yeah. it's like a perfect spot. Twenty-five to a half hour. You know what I mean? Crowds ready. You're yeah. usually killing. That hour is a different beast. You know Absolutely. I mean? You need to find your new rhythm. So the pressure's kind of off, but the lifestyle's down a couple notches. It's funny. Speaking of that, I remember I was I was working with Mitch Fatel in Atlanta, and I did that whole thing. I headlined that Thursday night and then was featuring for him the weekend. And I remember that Thursday night, they had me up at the Hyatt in Atlanta near uh, the, uh, the club. Yep. Great hotel. That's That Friday morning, I had to check out, drag my bag out of the hotel, and go to a microtel. <laughs> just a shitty, shitty sure. little motel. And I, I pull in, I check in, and I'm like, this ain't happening. No way. Pulled my bag right out, went back to the the Hyatt. Yeah. Now, they don't have me checked in. And I'm like, I'm putting my own credit card down. Let Mitch work this out. And Mitch took care of it. And Did it was really? Just, okay. Yeah. You can't give somebody like this great Mercedes treatment mm -hmm. and then pull them down to a Dodge Neon. Yeah. <laughs> you can reverse it. You know what I'm saying? Start off with the Neon and then bump it up to the yeah. Mercedes. Yeah. But now you're giving me the taste and yeah. now it's just shitty. Yeah. There's there's absolutely no way. It's you know, tough going back. It's interesting you're talking about a feature set versus a headliner set. It's not just an additional 15 minutes. It's no. not. It's, 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 you're getting, you're doing 45 later in the show and you need, you need like, 25 minutes to go with that 30 to make 45 because it has to you got to take into account the, the check drop and the energy level of the room and you're following a pretty good feature and like it's it's a whole different muscle man. it's a it, different it's, muscle i haven't been able to, to kind of make that jump myself it's uh, like a song it's like the song starts here yeah. then you got to go here then yeah. you got to come here and you got to go here and you, just like a very rhythmic thing but here's what's interesting do. about your career, because obviously we're both from Detroit, you moved out here, but you then, you, you started doing comedy and then you started directing movies. Yes. You, you, you did My Man is a Loser, a stand-up guy. How did you how did you make that shift from wanting to do stand-up, then directing, and now wanting to jump back into stand-up again? Um, the way, well, I always wanted to be a writer and a director, like my whole, even from childhood, you know, like my whole dream was like writing, directing, stand up. I was a weird kid, always loved, you know, I was imitating people on TV, always performing, but I was always a, a good, a solid writer. My creative writing teachers liked my stuff, whatever. So as I was doing stand up, when I started in stand up, I wasn't going to get a job writing. No one was going to hire me. I had never done anything. I was always just like writing in the background, writing in the background. And I was eight, nine years, 10 years maybe into stand-up. Doug and Ellen and I were still good. We're good friends. We met out here. He was a stand-up. He was quitting. I was starting. Did you start? You started out here? In, did, LA. in LA. I never oh, did wow. stand-up in college. Not many people start out in LA. I know. I yeah. started That's at rare. the comedy store. You know what I mean? On a Sunday. that I did that whole thing. I was too scared in college, too scared at home, never just too nervous, but always kind of thought, knew I would do it. So as I'm doing stand-up, I'm always secretly like writing. Just I'm writing scripts. I got TV shows. I got movies. They're just sitting in the pile. Every now and then I'm showing people. Long story short, 10 years in, Doug Allen gets, uh, after Entourage is hitting, he gets a call from like these independently wealthy dudes out of New York who have an idea that they want, they want to hire Doug to write it. Doug's too busy. He's like, Mike, you got to meet these guys. You're the perfect sentiment. You have the perfect brain for these guys, what they're looking for. And that movie ended up becoming My Man is a Loser. And so it was really like these two guys from New York kind of had a loose idea, really no idea. They were like, we don't get along with our wives, but I could tell a stripper my whole life story. We got anything? 
I was like, give me a week. I'm going to, because I knew they had the money. And I was like, give me a week. I'm going to get you something. So I basically came back to them and I was going through crazy single life. And my married friends were kind of like way out of touch with their wives. So I went back to these guys and I was like, how about a story about like your single buddy helping you get your swagger back to be good with your wives? We love it. Boom. Next thing I know, they call my lawyer. We make a deal and it becomes my first writing deal uh, writing deal for a feature film. So I, they hire me, I write the movie, and then they're like, they love the script. I'm starting to get the script of Friends, like Rappaport, and I give it to John Stamos through Saget Connection, and I'm getting really good feedback like, from actors that want to, they're like, we'll be in it. So long story, the guys that were financing, they're like, we need to find a director. They weren't going to, I wasn't really even thinking about myself as the, at the time. So they're, they're like, we need to find a director. And so I started reading like all these crazy interviews, like Playboy has a book of interviews with directors and every direct, so many of the directors were like, I just took a shot. Like Woody Allen was like, I'm tired of my scripts getting butchered on screen. I'm going to become a director. I went with that. So I called him. I was like, listen, I promise I can direct this movie. Wow. And so they went to Doug and they're like, you know, Doug, he says he can direct it. What do you think? And Doug's like, of course he could direct it. He just had my back. Signed the deal to direct, and they let me direct My Man is a Loser, wow. which ended up being you know $5 million independent film, and sold to Lionsgate. And so after that, you know, after like literally like after the premiere of My Man is a Loser, I was fortunate enough to keep getting writing and directing jobs. And like, you know, like these finance guys were at the premiere in New York of My Man is a Loser. They liked the movie. They came up to me after the like, they were like some, you know, kind of hustlers. They looked like hustlers. I didn't know what was real, what wasn't. They're sure. like, hey, we're making movies. We, we love your comedy. We're going to do something with you. Two weeks later, they call. All of a sudden, I got another deal to write. And they hadn't committed to me directing yet, but I wrote a stand-up guy that's on Netflix now. And after I wrote it, they hired, they let me direct it. And so, boom, that was my second writing and directing. So that, you know, chunk of time is like... You know, that's a couple years of your life writing and directing, getting two movies out. And so from there, I've been just fortunate to get like the word on the street. I'm like in this indie world where people with money that really want to, you know, that aren't in the studio system, they've been coming to me to tell their story. So it's been a really cool ride, but it did, it took me, it took me out of my stand up brain. Cause then, you know, I told myself like even during both movies, I was like, I'm going to direct all day and at night I'll be on stage. And I shot both movies in New York. Right. So I was like, I'll be at Gotham at nine o'clock after a day of directing. After a day of directing, bro, you're done. You're (laughs) done. There's no brain power left. There's no energy left. You're back home. You're in bed. Plus you're rewriting for the next day. So it just kind of, I got out of my stand-up rhythm. And, you know, I'm very lucky that the movies keep, have been coming and coming like, I feel like someone's playing a trick on me. Like all of a sudden, like some weird billionaire shows up. He's like, I got a great idea about my family. You know, I'm like, I love your family. You were, you were filming some of the movie at Gotham in New York, right? Yeah. How funny would it have been if Mike's shooting the movie at Gotham in New York and then he wants to come by later that night and do a set and they're like, can we see a tape? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what the fuck? By the way, st- <laughs> that wouldn't surprise yeah, me in no, the least. Stand up so gangster that oh. could that could easily happen. Oh, yeah. Of course, oh, yeah. you know what I mean. But, but here's what's crazy to yeah, me: we paid Gotham. We had to pay yeah. Gotham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's what's crazy to me: you never directed a film, right? Before right. my man. So it's not like you can fake your way through it, right? right. Like, like 
how did you know even where to start? Like that doesn't, it it baffles me. So what I did was number one, I went and I shadowed friends of mine that were directors. Kevin Connolly's a friend. He was directing a movie. I watched him for like two days. I bought a book on directing. I literally bought a book on like camera angles and like what, you know, what angles work, certain emotions, where to place the camera. I, I read a couple, you know, a couple books on directing. I knew just from like the rhythm of the comedy in the movie where my cuts were going to be just because as a comedian, you have a natural knack for where a tag is. So like that's, that's where the end of a scene is. Every scene is just a beginning, middle and end, like a joke. No matter if it's drama, comedy, whatever it is, every scene has a beginning, middle, and end. So if you kind of know your rhythm, I kind of knew at least where I would get out of those scenes, you know? So I did some pre-studying, but there's no no school that can teach you like getting on set. Like I remember my first day on set, I was a nervous wreck. No one really knew it, but like our first the first day on My Man is a Loser, it was a scene with Stamos, Rappaport, and Brian Callen. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we were uh, in a New York City park, and the first scene was like Stamos is on the... They're playing uh, street hockey. I originally wrote it as ice hockey, but Stamos couldn't skate. Then I changed it to roller hockey, and he couldn't roller skate. I was like, bro... He's like, listen, you think I'm happy? My dad was a Greek man. You know what I mean? You think he's happy his kid can't play sports? So basically, I had to write it as a street hockey thing so they could at least just run around. So the first scene was like the three of them on the bench where Stamos is giving advice to the two married guys. And I didn't know where I, where I was going to like put the camera for the first shot. So, you know, you go, you have a quick meeting with your DP, and your DP is like your king. Like, you need a great camera operating, a DP who knows every shot. So I just, you know, we had just met like a week earlier, my DP, and we didn't have a lot of time to prep. So basically, I just went to him, and his name was Harlan Bosmajian. He's awesome. And I was like, yo, where does the camera go? He's like, it just goes right here on a three shot. I got you. He took care of me. And then I got into a rhythm of basically every night after we shot, he and I would just go have a drink and we would talk about the next day's shot list. And we would just shot list on a napkin, you know, because some people like a real, you know, some directors are real meticulous. And, but we didn't have that kind of budget to be able to do every single shot. So you just you make a nice basic shot list, write down what you know you need, and uh, you know, and then then you learn as you go. But the crazy shit is all the people that work with you on a movie. So like the prop girls running up, going, "Is that enough alcohol in that glass right there?" And you got to answer, like you're the boss. You're in charge. You know what I mean? Is that a good color of a picture behind John's head? Perfect. So you you know you're getting asked all these questions. So it was really learning on the job and it was crazy because you don't know how much you learn but then when i did a stand-up guy it was like bam 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 bam. i was just calling shots way faster like i already had all this knowledge and it just uh you know it's from doing it yeah it's like stand-up or anything else because it's interesting you have these three guys you have Rappaport, stamos and brian callen yeah and it's not like it's a student film where it's like hey i can dick around i can take a little while make sure that we get what we need like you have three solid guys that if right. you look like you don't know what the hell is going on, you're wasting their time. Totally. You're wasting a whole crew's time. And so you better figure it out pretty quickly. Is that kind of how? That's exactly how it is. And luckily, I because I wrote the script, they already loved the script. So Rappaport was already, they were already in on the writing. So I had a little bit of credit from them like on that. Stamos was kind of like the only one that was like giving me a hard time about not being, you know, not knowing how to direct right away. 
but he was really more about like, did you make, did you get my close up? You know right. I mean? Make sure I got the close up on <laughs> yeah. Stamos. But you did, you did after after two days, bro. I had my confidence, right? At least like because I knew, I just knew the script so well, you know. And Harlan had my back on the DP move, so like I was nobody else gave me shit. There was a couple. You're always gonna have a couple tense moments. Yeah, uh, Tika Sumter was in the movie. She played Callan's love interest. She kind of wasn't feeling me in the beginning because she'd been in a bunch of movies and right. this and that, and she could tell I was new. So like I had to kind of like. Get, you know, what I was good at was talking character and like motivation and like where this character's come from, you know, coming from and what they're supposed to, how they're supposed to be in the scene. I, you know, so I had that lockdown. It was really the technical language that I had to get up to speed on. You know, like I said, I was like, zoom in. They're like, these cameras don't zoom, man. <laughs> I straight up said zoom. You know what I mean? $300,000 Alexa camera. It doesn't zoom. Yeah. I just, uh, it's it's yeah. funny because when I would do warm up on sitcoms, you would look at who the director was and you could tell if that week was going to be a good week or a bad week based okay. on who the director was. So Mark Sandrowski, who directs Big Bang Theory, would direct some of the Dr. Ken shows. And you'd be like, we're in great hands. This guy knows exactly what he's doing. But then you would see other nights where it'd be like, who's this? And then if that person, that director doesn't have the confidence of the crew, it's going to be a long goddamn night because oh, yeah. they're not confident. They're not sure. They're they're redoing shots 800 times. And if you have a guy like Sandrowski, and I think you probably caught on to this quick, like quick. If, if I don't have the confidence and can bank those shots pretty fast – it's going to be a clusterfuck and I'm going to start losing people's interest very fast. Exactly. And I, and I also learned quickly that everybody matters on a movie, like on a, on a set, anywhere you go, everybody matters. The prop girl, the, the, the makeup art, everybody, you got to get everybody to care as much as you can. Cause there's like the care pair pyramid of care. You know what I mean? Like right. writer, director, I'm going to care a ton. The money guys over here, they're really going to care, but might not have the creative head to like know what's going on. But like, you got to just be cool and respect your whole crew so that everyone cares enough to do. Because, you know, shit can happen, man. If you're rude to your prop master and they feel like not filling up the bar scene with proper, you know, with a properly, you know, lit bar or, you know, the drinks are all no ice in them. Something that simple, you see it on a big screen, you go, that shit just looks wrong. Yep. And it, and when you get taken out of a moment in a movie, that, that kills you. Yeah. So you just want to keep the care up and everything matters. So, so you make these movies and you still, after all this, still have the love and desire for stand-up. Oh, man, it never left. I was just more frustrated that I couldn't do stand-up because I just didn't have the energy to get up at night and then get up at 6 in the morning. So stand-up is my first, like, love. Like, that's... I love stand-up. And so, yeah, I'm lucky that I'm doing the movie stuff and I've kind of got my... Like, I'm not directing anything right now. I'm just writing a couple movies. So my schedule is just, like, get to the table at 9 in the morning, write till, like, 1.30, 2 take a long walk, and then look at my stand-up. Can I just say, so I, I, I feel like we're not utilizing him enough. Like I think like every couple of minutes throughout the interview, if we could just get a random stock tip, this would be great. So yeah, stock yeah, tip, stock Dave, Dave yeah. if you He's could just throw us one all. stock tip and then we'll get back. So what, what what's good right now? Well, actually, it's funny because two weeks ago, um, Kevin Connolly was on our podcast and he was bashing me for one of the picks I gave him last year. What was the pick? Called Cara Pharmaceuticals. Kara, C A R A. By the way, I need money quick, so and we need a good one. He'll get you to flip. Rent since, is due June first. But since 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 he you know called me out because it wasn't doing well at the time of he was like two weeks ago when he came on it was at eleven dollars. 
goes up five dollars yesterday. It went from like eleven to seventeen since he made since he made fun of me. So would you say Kara's a good buy? Yes, because they are a they're doing two things. They're creating a pill that is opioid free. It's going to be the first pain free, sorry, the first addictive free drug on the market for pain, to well, eliminate pain. And they're also developing a pill for puritis, which is something to do with kidney disease as well, or itchiness or something. And oh yeah, you talked about this a while ago. This this yeah. this, this stock. Yeah, and so when Kevin came on, it was at like a, at eleven thirty five, and now it's like at seventeen thirty since he made you know since he called yeah. me out. By the way, one of my favorite. This is so that's random. Stock tip, Dave. That's fantastic. Tip. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, How I'm many shows on this network? And I want to. Yeah. I want people to appreciate yeah. this shit. Yeah. Are going to go from comedy and interviewing to a goddamn stock tip? Yeah, I don't know. This isn't doing. happening. Yeah. No. <laughs> By the way, one of my favorite. This I'm getting. This we just is show so, up without a guest to the studio. So, and magic happens. <laughs> this it. is so. This is so dating myself. I remember there was an episode of Leave It to Beaver years ago, Jeez. and Eddie and Wally wanted to invest in a stock, sure. and they wanted to buy a, a stock called Jet Electro. They were so fascinated by the name, and and the dad was like, No, no, no. Let's go more conservative. Let's go Mayfield Power and Light. <laughs> and I just remember they 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 invested the money, but then the dad secretly changed their money and put it into Mayfield Power and Light because he knew this Jet Electro was just a fly by night stock. And then they ended up like breaking even, and that was the moral of the story. Uh, but yeah, nice. yeah, you that's can cool. use that one for later. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's great story writing right there. There it is, right you know there. I mean? The yeah. dad wanted to be conservative, go on the safe side. Yeah. The boys wanted to go yeah. crazy. You know, it's and, it's so good that you, that you start in stand up and you have this instinct for comedy for quick hitting. Like it, I like, like how Patrick just avoids my. <laughs> well, no, I just, I just really want to move this along here, and I want to take advantage of our time. Um, but like when Dangerfield came onto the cast uh, for um, the golf movie Caddyshack, yeah, it, it was a perfect stand-up with Ted Knight, who was a serious actor with uh, sketch and improv, Murray and Chase, and it it, it had that bite to it. And, oh yeah, and you can you notice when it's those funny guys directing like Rambus or John uh, who did Landis. I mean, yeah, he, Landis, those, those yep. shots and those the, the cuts. And and so much now is like they leave the camera on the actors too long. Of course. And they let, okay. Uh, and it's like, you already had funny. Cut it there, man. But, Cut it at the know, punch. Yeah. And that's what I think stand-up maybe taught you going into directing. 100%. Yeah. It was that rhythm. And it's funny because I look like, Gary, you know, I, you know, back in the day, I started like the Young American Comedy Tour. Remember of course. Whole thing? Yep. So like my whole thought behind that was like, you're at the comedy store or wherever you are and you're looking at like all these people with great comedy minds. And like... Comedy is a gift. Like, not everybody has the shit. So it's like, in my mind, I'm like, I look at the old school, like the Mel Brooks movies. He would have like six of his like comedy buddies yeah. in those movies. And they add like a flavor. And it was always crazy to me that like comedians, at least our crew of comedians, didn't like think about like collaborating more. And it's yeah. like, comedians have like this sort of narcissistic, yeah. weird, antisocial thing going. A lot of them, not all of them. But like... The point of the Young American Comedy Tour was I looked out at the patio of the comedy store and I saw Brett, Sebastian, Butch Bradley. And in my mind, I'm like, why don't we just start yeah. our own shit? Those three alone. We're not, you, yeah. And this was 10 years ago or 11 years ago. And we're not all famous. No one's famous yet. But like the talent and the funny was there. So the point is, it's like, I would love to like get a group of comics and do a movie with like my comedian buddies because you're guaranteed the funny. You're guaranteed funny. You know what I mean? Not everyone... I did. I wrote this movie called Grounded. It's, it's going to come out with Aaron Paul. Oh wow! Aaron Paul is a great actor, dramatic actor. Aaron Paul, Jeff Daniels is in it. Oh, I didn't wow, direct. Yeah. It, I wrote it. But uh, plus, he's point, such a positive guy. I mean, he's. I see him around in, greatest, in social media. It's amazing. Aaron Paul. Yeah, Aaron Paul. Super awesome guy. 
But day one, he's like, listen, bro. And he didn't have to tell me that I'm the writer. I wasn't directing it, but he told me because I wrote it. He was like, listen, bro. And there was some dark comedy in the movie. He's like, I don't do comedy. I don't have comedy in me. And that's when you realize, like, if you can do comedy, you can do drama. But just because you can do drama, you can't do comedy. Comedy is a very specific thing. Like, most dramatic actors aren't funny. Most people aren't funny, you know? So if you got someone who's funny... You gotta, you know, you gotta utilize that. So it, it's yeah. funny that he's talking about stand-ups not collaborating because it's just you see all this talent. It, it's like that line in um, Donnie Brasco where it's like that guy says, uh, "God, it's fifty wise guys chasing the same nickel." Yeah, you know, nobody can get on board with the same project. And, and that's exactly you know, what it is. It's 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 frustrating. It's a lot of us are guilty of it. Yeah, but it, see, but you're you're one of those few guys because we, we you see this all the time. Stand-up for a lot of people is just a dead business. It's not you, – you can't make money on the road. There's not a lot of gigs in town. But a good comic will work four different angles, whether that's trying to shoot commercials, whether that's writing, whether that's uh, doing other things. So you really felt like, hey, listen, I love writing. I'm going to pursue that. I mean I just see so many people who kind of fall into a rut and they're like, hey, maybe I should submit this script or do whatever. Like, but you really took it to heart. You're like, I- I'm going to put aside stand-up for a little bit, just full force write, yep. and then I'll jump back. Uh, Kevin Pollack has the greatest story of his stand-up wasn't going the way he wanted it to. He's like, I'm going to go do movies and then come back. Now, granted, that's a one in a million chance, but right. you know, there are so many other options for us as stand-ups – that people don't really dig yeah. into that part of it. Well, I, that's but that's just a lazy nature of right. human. Like that's just I grew up Detroit, scrap metal, eight miles shoveling brass with my dad on a dump truck, and my dad was just like I came from one of those families where it's like, yo, you better be working. So I couldn't afford a to be lazy in any way, and I was just always trying to like just create another avenue you know what i mean because i to me writing and stand-up they're all the same they're all they feed each other they're really kind of like the same like as a stand-up you got to write your shit whether you do it through your memory or you're physically writing it's all like feeds the same it's all the same thing through a different expression so i never saw like a huge difference between them you know writing you got to learn structure but that's just that's just a book tells you how to do structure beginning middle end that's just something you can learn, but you can't learn funny or quality of content. Well, and by the way, when you when you get the financing for My Man is a Loser for a stand-up guy, it, it, for you personally, is that a game changer financially? Like, is that is that like, hey, this is a new level from what I was used to. It now changes the game a little bit. I can relax a little bit more. I can have a little more freedom. Does that change that thing for you? Yeah, I was very lucky with that. And it just changed my life, basically. It just made me never have to think. I mean, maybe one day I'll have to think again. But like, I haven't had to, <laughs> since my man is a loser, I haven't had to have any stress. Listen, I'm not a, I'm not rich, but I mean, I haven't had any stress about money just because... After that, it just kept going with the financing and it just kept, you know, coming. The jobs kept coming to me. So, and I'm not someone that lives above his means. I'll have, if I, you know, if I got money in the bank, I'll still drive a Honda Accord. You right. Know what I mean, even though I got a, there's a Range Rover outside, but it's not, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not mine. But you would. <laughs> it's not mine. But I would have, a, you know what I mean? I'm not, I don't live above my means, but it is a game changer. Listen, it can go the other way. I was lucky because they financed it. They paid me proper Writers Guild fees. I was, you know, I got back end points. I was very lucky on that because my lawyer was great. You know, it could go the other way where your movie just is nothing. Nobody picks it up. It falls flat and you're back at zero. 
I made sure that my deal was right. And these guys were wealthy guys and it was good for them to pay proper money. And so, you know, to be honest, yeah, it's been, it was, it's been a game changer. Because so. that, that's got to be nice then because now then you can go on the road. You don't feel as stressed out if you go do a weekend somewhere yeah. and maybe it's either a break even or something like that. You don't, you I don't, don't stress, stress about out it. about it. Right. No. So I have no problem. Like if Saget's at the Ritz and, I, you know, there's like not a ton of money in the budget, I don't, I'll put myself in a hotel for another night. I, I don't, you know, I'm like, my whole thought about money is just like do something that you think is great and then let money come to you. I don't think if you chase money, which a lot of comedians get in that brain of like, no. got to get that money. It never but, comes. Yeah. Well, the Seinfeld show, him doing so well in Seinfeld kind of hurt that because a lot of people got into it to be Seinfeld, not right. Jerry Seinfeld. Right. Like, oh, there's money in this. No. I'm a firm believer yeah. that if you just put the energy into making something great, I swear to God, I think money comes at you it's not, i'm not being like tony robbins i'm just saying it's just work for me like before my man is a loser and i was telling doug ellen this on the last part before my man is a loser i was i was on the fence i was like yo maybe i'll just go back to detroit and like work with my brother in like restoration my brother and my cousins they have a big company i do great there there was that moment of that and it was like two weeks later that like doug hit me with the call of like yo these guys want to talk to you about a movie and it did. It was a game changer. You know? I, I always think that too. I always think like if I decided not to do stand up anymore, I could go back to like a small town in Michigan and be. You could the be the mayor, DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gary Cannon like, for yeah, mayor. Like, Literally, how great man. would that be to be yeah. like the guy? Because you know this in Detroit or any city, really. Like the the local sportscaster was a big star, or the morning DJs were big celebrities. I'd be like, that could be a fun little lifestyle. Yeah. Of course, to just be that guy. I mean, John Heffron was the morning guy at a station in Detroit for years. I mean, was he really? Yeah, I just remember, worked with him two weeks ago. He's such a beast. He it's took like, over yeah, for Dick Port. Dick Purton. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, there, there are Purton those. Purton was the number one guy in yeah. Detroit for a long and time. Yeah, and he took over for that. So it, it is interesting. I think people focus on the wrong things rather than chasing down just a Doug James gig. And, yeah. The, yeah. you know, there's so many other opportunities out there. Totally. For what we're doing. It's crazy. And open your head up to that. Like, comics need to get, you know, I don't know. I think it's just a comedian personality trait a lot of times. They get tunnel vision, and they don't think about stuff like that. Comedians make the best radio guys. Radio guys love comedians on their show because they make the show. You know? Well, Bob and Tom, that was their theory for yeah. years. Like, bring in funny people That's it. to help support us. That's it's it. simple. It's an, you're just entertaining. Who's the most entertaining? Boom, bring them in the mix. I mean, you're right. Because in, in Orlando, when I, when I was growing up, like, the morning DJs, like, the, the some of the radio stations, they were just, like, the big, you know, the biggest guys in town because everybody would listen to them. So and it was funny because I remember we had, like, a school assembly. The most popular DJ in yeah. town comes in to give a guest speaker, and, and half the people in the audience were like, that's so and so. They were so, <laughs> they look like so such a funny. nerd. Yeah, yeah you yeah. never see him. Yeah. You don't yeah. see him they till were, a school assembly because they thought he was like the coolest guy ever. Like the you know probably like, you know Brad Pitt looking gets all the girls, and he walks in. He's the complete opposite of what everybody was expecting. Do you remember Mike in Detroit? There was a guy. Radio. There was a guy for years and years. He was on late night. His name was Alan Almond. Yeah, he he had this deep voice. This was back in the day. You couldn't yeah. Google him and look him up, but like he had this deep voice and had this show called Pillow Talk. And then yeah. you know, you finally there was a picture released of him. Like it was like a Bigfoot picture, and you look at him, you're like, this guy's the Elephant Man. Like yeah. he is just not a good looking dude. No, nope. yet he was this smoother on like the radio, and it was just it was very funny to see it. Did you listen to Mojo? Yeah, of course. 
Mojo, yeah. man, Mojo. Like I don't, I still don't know what Mojo looks like, but he had the smoothest R and B voice, and he was like the guy, like he just played the greatest, yeah. like, the hip hop and the R and B, and then put you to sleep with the slow Prince jams. Well, it's it, I, I remember there was there was a, a local radio station WHYT, which was on ninety six point three, and there was a woman on there. Her name was Lisa Lisa, and she was oh, yeah, like this course. big, yeah, this is Lisa Lisa party jam, boom boom boom, <laughs> and then she went away, and then all of a sudden I was like listening to another station. She's like, hey everybody, it's Lisa Orlando, and I was like. No, no, you're Lisa yeah, Lisa. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, oh, yeah. like she went to a different station and then changed her her vibe and her persona. For sure. Yeah. They do which, that. By the way, that had to make you feel good because we had Barry Katz on our show a couple of months ago. And Barry was on a radio show that you and I were both on, Frazier Smith's radio show. Yeah. And Barry literally went off on a 15-minute tangent about seeing you at the Comedy Magic Club. Yeah. And just how great you were. That had to make you feel really that good. That made me feel great. Yeah. And like reinvigorated me even more on my stand-up. You know what I mean? Like he really was very uh, complimentary. Played, yeah, that, 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 that threw me. That, yeah, yeah. I, play, I played it 19 times on my podcast. Oh, my God. It was he the was, nicest thing ever. He literally, and there's a guy that's seen it all, and he was yeah. just talking about how, you know, you just won them over by just being real and just be, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And I will say, ha, you know, having seen you a bunch of times, uh, Mike updated his taxi sandwich joke to <laughs> an Uber burrito. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, seven years in, I got one new tag. Uber burrito. Because I, I remember seeing <laughs> Yo, let me ask you something. Let me ask you what you think about this. So, like, I've been doing stand-up a long time. I've never had a special. Right. You know, 10 years in, I get swayed seven years, six, seven years of writing. I'm, I'm kind of out of the stand-up game, but still half in it. But I want to, like, do a special. So my thought is, like, the old jokes that I've done that my comedian friends and, like, maybe 900 people know, I want to do those yes, jokes. Yes, yes, On a special. Why should I... Th- why should I? Not everyone's seen my shit. So, of course. Because so, some people are like, you got to just do a bunch of all new stuff. I'm like, no one knows me in the stand up world. Like, no, I mean, some people, but like, not really. I have right. never done a special. So, point is, you think if I do a special, of I course. should definitely yeah. bring 100%. out the 100%. guns. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's, uh, yeah. that's yeah. all I need to hear. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm bringing would... out the old, like, yeah, why wouldn't you? I'm bringing you? out all the guns. No, it's the, in, at some point, it's the industry's responsibility to get that gold onto the to the masses. And yeah, it's like, you take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote it. it. I get this out of the way, then you can get to the, the next round. I, I, exactly. I will say this, speaking of of, of TV and, and, and getting your stand-up on film, I remember you could have had easily one of the best sets ever on Last Call with Carson Daly. I mean, there were, there were nobody had done better than you because we basically, when I did warm-up on that show, which was my first warm-up gig, sometimes the crowds weren't that good. It was all based on who the other guests were. Mike comes on, and fortunately, on that day, Panic at the Disco yeah, is making their TV debut with us. Phenomenal. There's fans waiting outside since 8 a.m. trying to get into that show. Rabbit audience. Mike comes out right before them. They are going crazy. It was uh, it was a perfect. That was a perfect late night storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, weeks later, Jim Gaffigan comes out. People's phones are going off in the audience. He's getting heckled by the band members. Just like Gaffigan. Jim like Gaffigan, yeah. Going down in yeah. flames. Yeah. And like yeah. my I remember Rockstar set. Just crazy. So, when the thing when the stars line up like that, it, it, it's really it's it's something special. It was like, beautiful. It was absolutely crazy. The funniest is Carson like had me sit down, but not for an interview, just like that's where I just to sit before the commercial. Yeah. I had never been on I've never sat down before on any show. Right. So I didn't like know where to I was kinda like I didn't know where to look. He was talking to me, but 
I don't know. It was like, a, I remember thinking like, I just killed, I crushed. But when I sat next to him on the couch, I was lost. So surreal. I was like, dude, dude, dude. Well, yeah. like, well, what am I doing? Who, who am I talking to you? Do yeah. I, and it's, it's panic yeah. at the disco. And these fans are just like, all, <laughs> Crazy. Of a sudden, all of a sudden, this band is out. They don't care about Mike anymore. Right, right, They're right. like, hey, this is what we waited to see. <laughs> yeah. It was so awesome. By the way, before we came on the air, we, we were talking about, there's there's a few cool moments in this business where you're like oh wow this is fun to be in this business and for me it was when we did our podcast and I got to we got to interview this was before Patrick joined us but we got to interview Joey Greco from the show Cheaters oh wow and since then we've become friends which was great because I had been such a huge fan of that show and then Chris Hansen from To Catch a Predator yeah who I, listen, these are your I two favorite shows. these are my two favorite <laughs> That's right right we had Robert O'Neill the guy who killed Ben Laden but <laughs> Joey Greco and Chris Hansen were the top guys but we had talked about Chris Hansen yeah. before we got on the air and how he was this local Channel 4 reporter in Detroit yep. for an NBC affiliate and how you got connected to him. Yeah. Explain that story and how it leads into the book that you're writing with this kind of infamous Detroit character. So Chris Hansen is obviously, he was the original like Geraldo, you know, like right? in Detroit. We knew him as kids. He was like the special reporter going to any, you know, he'd attack anything. And he did a story back in the 80s about white boy Rick. White Boy Rick is a famous, he's unfortunately famous, you know, for going to prison, getting a life sentence on a nonviolent drug offense. But White Boy Rick is in prison now, 30 years. The movie White Boy Rick comes out in September. They brought me in to write the book about his life. And Chris Hansen, oddly odd connection enough, he was the first one to break the White Boy Rick story. So White Boy Rick, he was a 14-year-old drug informant in Detroit, in the, on the east side of Detroit in the 80s. And Hansen had broke the story. And the reason I, I even keep bringing up Hansen is- eighth grader. This is an eighth grader. He's in eighth grade. <laughs> he's 14 years old. He's in eighth grade. His father's a gun runner. His dad's selling guns to the underworld. The FBI gets wind of him. They sit the father down at a lunch. The kid, Rick, is with his dad. They're asking the dad all the questions. He doesn't know the names of the guys he's selling to in the neighborhood. The kid knows the answers. FBI gets a ho their hooks in them. We're going to pay you money. You're going to be an informant. All of a sudden, this kid's 14, and he's and Hanson had broke the story. But this kid is 14 years old. In his mind, he's like, yo, this is like some rock star shit. Like, he doesn't have the capacity at 14 to know how deep he's going and how dangerous he's about to get involved. So he starts informing for the FBI. They're paying him a weekly stipend. And they're paying his dad also. His dad's letting this happen. You know what I mean? He's putting his kid in harm's way. The feds basically, they keep him on the hook at 14. They still got him on the hook at 15. They've had him do drug buys. He does a drug buy uh, when he's 15. He does like his first cocaine buy. He does his buy. Meanwhile, he's 15. He's like, oh shit, I'm getting, there's real money in cocaine. And there's girls and there's cars. And is this this is in the seventies? You said eighties. Eighties. So this is mid eighties. This is all uh, that Colombian whole thing. This is right when yeah. crack cocaine yeah. exploded in Detroit. When the Colombians were connecting yeah. with the big cocaine was coming in from Colombia to Miami, Miami to Detroit. Pablo, yeah, yeah. And he met some of Pablo's guys. So he's fifteen years old now. Now he's in the drug game. So now he's working both sides. He's informing and he's also selling drugs. And you know. Is he an angel? No. But is he a white trash poor kid who doesn't know any better at this moment in his life? I believe so. Was he violent? Not at all. Never committed a violent crime in his life. So he's going along. He's selling drugs. The feds basically come to him. They're like, yo, through your information, we've put away like some of the top drug lords, kingpins, killers. Thank you. We're done with you. Stop the shit we think you're doing, but we're done. 
So now he's he's so deep in the game, he's got the dirt on the mayor. So back in the day, Coleman Young had Huge. dirt. Gil Hill, who was in the Beverly Hills Cop movie yep. and played oh, yeah, 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 Detective yeah. Gil Hill, yeah. played himself. He was dirty. Don't they got him. On, yeah, yeah. Him, yeah. exactly. They got him on a federal wiretap talking about, like, bring me the money. We like the money. On video, and you're going to see because the White Boy Rick documentary is going to come out in like the next two months on Apple first, and it's going to just go wide. It's going to be, it's going to blow your mind. So Rick gets in this world. He's stealing drugs. He's living the life. He's now addicted to the, to the life. He wasn't even a drug doer. He didn't even do drugs. He's hooked on the women, the cars, the money, the chance, all the, the whole thing. And they know. And so he's in, and now he knows that some of the Detroit cops are dirty. So Coleman Young, the mayor, his niece is dating the number one drug dealer in Detroit. <laughs> this fucking banana. And I'm just, I can say this without worry because it's public knowledge. It's, there's articles everywhere about it. But the mayor's niece was dating the number one drug dealer when the shipments of cocaine would come in and the dope, dope dealer would go get the coke from the airport with the niece with him, his girlfriend. They would have a police escort to take the drugs. They were free and clear. And the money was just getting kicked up. It was wild. Rick keeps becoming, you know, he keeps dealing drugs. Now he's made his connects. And one night he's coming back with like eight kilos in his car. And he sees a cop that he knows in the neighborhood. He sees him. He's at the, Rick's driving towards home, sees the cop at the stop sign, knows the cop because he's actually sold some shit to the cop before. Dirty cop. Dirty cops with his partner. His partner's like, yo, let's go get him. They go, there's like a chase ensues. Bottom line is they catch they Rick's whoever was in the car with Rick put the put the cocaine like under someone's porch. Cops find the coke. Rick, white boy Rick is busted with eight kilos of cocaine. They bust him. In his mind, he's gonna post bail, maybe do a little time and be done. At the time, there's the Michigan 650 lifer law. 650 grams of cocaine or above, you're done. And you get life in prison without the possibility he's the last person that was put in prison on a life sentence under that so he gets his sentence life without parole and he knew it was because all the people in detroit the whole political community they wanted him done throw away the key get rid of this guy they put him in jail every five years he comes up for parole deny 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 and because every five years, there was still somebody on that parole board that was connected to the mayor, to the chief of police. It, it, it's heavy shit, man. It's like with, the more you learn about the way the system is really going on, it scares you. And it also like makes you go, why wasn't I just a bank robber? Like, <laughs> right. You know, the good guys and the bad guys are like the same right now. Like the cops. And this is an, obviously there's great police out there in the world. But there are some there are some there are some shady shit going on. Yeah. And Rick was in the middle. So he got life in prison without parole. So I'll just bring you quickly up to speed how I even got involved. And this it's not even believable. But so he's doing now he's 30 years into his sentence. Right. So I write. I end up and I never met him. I, I'm a famous guy. I heard about him my whole life because when I was in middle school, I heard there was like this white boy that was coming up, you know, with gold chains and fur coats sure. and like cash everywhere. The whole thing. So he's been doing 30 years. I'm in the middle of doing a, I'm, I wrote this drama about Detroit in the seventies that Eminem is like attached to. We haven't sold it, but it's like something that I want to get off the table and like really make great. Just about like the mob in the seventies in Detroit and the whole right, the whole underworld. And through my research, I was researching, like I, I hired a research guy out of Detroit who was a crime criminal, re, uh, criminal writer, whatever crime writer. 
and I was paying him and he was he had been talking to white boy Rick on the phone from prison because he was doing stories about him and so one day I um he was a, Rick called him and so I talked to him for one second while he was on the phone with him just like hey man hope you get out I know your whole story blah 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 we talk one time so this is bananas so the guys that financed the Aaron Paul thing that we shot in Detroit they are I'm not going to say the names of them they're well known in Detroit but they're big money guys in Detroit connected the whole thing I see Rick's. I see the documentary and the unreal before it comes out. It's coming out soon. I told you. I watched the documentary. It's such a negative hit on Detroit that I call my friend in Detroit, who's a big time builder, developer, money guy. He's part of the revolution, the revitalization of Detroit. I said, dude, you have to see this documentary on this guy. It, with it, when this comes out, Detroit's going to get knocked back like another year. All the shit you've been putting in positive for Detroit. If this gets once this gets out, this is this, you're not going to believe the corruption going on. I show it to him. He hits me up. He's like, he's like, this is a travesty. We've got to like make some political calls and see if we can't get Rick paroled. And we started like a little movement, which had been kind of going on, but nobody was like really making headway on it. And we started a little movement, and through these connections, they got to the people in Michigan. They got to the governor and said, you have to fucking look at this kid's case. He's a nonviolent. In the documentary, the guys that were hired to kill him, they're in the documentary. Walking around, they got really? jobs. <laughs> straight up Man. murderers. And they, they're, in the, they're in the documentary. Nate Boonecraft, if you look him up, he's a killer. And so and he, now, now there's no more need to kill the guy so he's they're done like, hey yeah he's done he goes in the documentary he's like yo let rick out i missed him three times wow they tried to get we him retired like yeah we're that's, done that's we're out of the game no more contract it was a that. moment yeah. in time and a lot of these gangsters that's just how it is with them yeah. like they had their moment in time they're not holding on to old grudges nobody wants to get him anymore but they're in the documentary free the guy did 15 years on some other murder yeah. rick's in for 30 on a nonviolent drug offense it's tragic and like the drug dealers that went away they got 17 years they're out everyone's out except him so they made some moves and luckily boom they got him on his last parole hearing he got paroled out of michigan after we started this little this movement wow and so now he's in florida he's supposed to serve two years on a, on a charge that he that happened while in prison on like a fake some he didn't even really do anything they did some trumped up shit Bottom line is he's like at the five yard line. He is definitely getting out within the two years, but it could be way sooner, depending. And through that movement, I started talking to Rick on the phone more and more. And I had, you know, I ghost wrote. It sounds like I have all these jobs, but like Rappaport brought me on to like help write his book. So I ghost wrote his book, and so I, I made some rel relationships in the book world. And so I brought it up to Rick, and he's like, "Yo, bro, you want to do the book?" Absolutely. And yeah. boom, that's it. So now I'm going to do the book. Knock on wood, he gets out sooner than later. And it's a crazy story. I mean, I could talk for hours. Well, I'll about tell you, and, and if he puts together a nice 45 minutes, you know, that's <laughs> someone that can go around and not even do comedy, just his, his, his <laughs> testimony, you know? Listen, no, no, you're laughing. That is, yeah. that is 100% yeah. what I told him to do. Yeah, 100%. He's like, bro, doesn't I doesn't need to be funny. Just it'll, that'll come. I said, bro, you should be working on your on, on your on giving a speech. You need to be because that's real money. Yeah. There's criminals all over the place, ex-cons giving speeches, and he's like, oddly enough, he's just like, yo, bro, I can't get anything done in here. Like prison in Florida for him is like not good. It's just 
I don't know. He's like, I don't want anyone to know. Like, they don't know who he is there. Like, they know he's prisoner, whatever, whatever, but they don't know his whole, at least that's what he tells me, that they don't know his whole story. So he hasn't been working on his act. (laughs) And I actually told him, like, dude, you got to, when you get out, this is going to be money for you. So it is crazy to think if if like Jared from Subway did a tour, he could sell more yeah. tickets than us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah with yeah. a meet and greet package, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like a VIP, yeah, you know, meet and greet. Just afterwards. comedy ain't cutting it. Yeah, we nobody, need, need nobody gives a yeah. shit. That's about stand up. Uh, it's so funny. We just we literally. By the way, first of all. Our podcast is normally 30 minutes. We could go yeah, on for yeah, hours with yeah. you. I mean, so great. Uh, and I got to say, too, this business is such a mess that, that when you said, you'd think that you'd see each other more if you get along and you like, he's one of those guys like, yeah. like Steve Simone's another guy I don't see enough. You know, he's a good guy. Yeah. And like some of these guys, and you'd think you'd see a lot of each other because yeah. there's so many shitty people in this business, but you don't. You just, <laughs> it, it is <laughs> funny. Like there are certain guys that like a Simone, like you never hear one guy's like, I'll be honest with you, that guy's a dick. Like yeah. you never hear that. Like no. you never, no. you know, there's certain, but but like it, it is weird because you just don't, you know, everybody's so busy. And then when people reach out to you that you really don't want to see, you're like, well, I don't get to see friends. Right. So I'm not going to make time for this person. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's so weird. It's just like only so many hours in the day. But are we really that busy? Like in my mind, I'm no. so, I, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know. I, like, I want to do like a Mad Mad. What was that movie? The Mad Mad World? Yeah, yeah. With, Four with formats. Mad 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 Mad, 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 Mad World. I don't think it was Mel Brooks. It was, uh, but it was star studded. It was yeah, amazing. Yeah, like Sid Caesar. Like Sid those. Caesar was in it. Jonathan Winters. Yeah, yeah. All those guys. Yeah. So in my mind, and this is just how I think, I'm like, why don't we get together once a week, the funny comedians, yeah. and just have like a brainstorm? And by the way, that's kind of what All Things Comedy, All Things yeah. comedy is hoping to be, right? Yeah. Like an incubator, you know, for like projects and things of like, like-minded individuals so in my well, mind you know how this works if you've ever it, like when, whenever you get to vegas right and you're working seven days in vegas or six days right. and you see who else is playing at the other clubs like you know i'm at harrah's and some great friends are over at the mgm and you're like you're texting everybody like let's get together this week it's going to be a long week let's hang let's grab lunch by like sunday afternoon sorry we didn't meet up man because yeah. you realize yeah. like you're like i got to make it down south to the strip like yeah. i don't want to go do that yeah. and then sometimes you're thinking like i don't see this guy in la like why would i make the draw and it's it's, totally. it's literally a mile south yeah and you're nobody's willing like that happens every time you go to vegas you're like hey let's hang out let's do it and you never see that person and that's what it, it comes to be you're like i i barely get time i i i don't have to leave my hotel i can close the blinds and just yeah. watch live pd or whatever that you know what i mean like you're like <laughs> your, your choice <laughs> your, your choice and you should be the comedy chris hansen <laughs> <laughs> That's a, there you go. It's, I, I will t- it's just funny that that's when you meet these like little people that you're like, by the way, Michael Rappaport is in one of my new favorite shows, Atypical. Oh, yeah. that's a great show. Such a great show. I mean, holy shit. I mean, He's a what great a, actor, man. Oh, my God. Do, do whenever, grab a tip? Whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's wrap up, let, let's wrap up another uh, a stock tip. You got wait, any other wait, tips? Wait, before we do, Dave, hold on one second yeah. because I just want to make yeah. sure uh, – and, and by the way, Mike Rappaport, always funny on Stern whenever I hear him. And I, I oh, remember the calling. Knicks, the stuff he talks about. The, he's on Colin Coward a lot, talking about the Knicks. Oh, oh he's my God. Crazy. Beautiful. He's amazing. Let me button this up by saying, uh, and then we'll get to our final stock tip. Uh, so happy to have Mike Young on our show. A uh, couple of great movies. Thank my you. Man is a Loser, a stand-up guy. Podcast right here on the All Things Comedy Network. Stories that need to be told. Yep. How often do you release that podcast? Every week. Every week. Every Doug Monday. Ellen just on this one. Yep. When is that one coming out? Because this is going out today. So when did you? Oh, so Doug, the uh, Doug Allen, uh, the Kevin Connolly one just came out a few days ago, and then Doug Allen will come out Monday. Oh, great! Monday. Okay, great, great, great. 
That's easy. Yeah. Uh, real Mike Young. That's the your, real Mike Young. It's the real Mike Young. Yeah. Great, great, great. That, is that all social media platforms? That's it, really. Yeah. All right, there it Instagram, is. Instagram, the should real have Mike Ray, Young. Ray Parker. He should have, because he's a fellow Detroit guy, too. Oh, yeah. We had Ray Parker on our show. Ray Ghost, Parker Jr. He oh, was really? Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. He came in. He came in the studio. Sang Ghostbusters with us. That's it was awesome. like the greatest. By the way, he, he probably <laughs> made a fortune in publishing Huge. off that. I mean, ridiculous. Huge. He sits I mean, back. Talk about sit back, collect checks. And there's a guy who you think, what has he done since that Ghostbusters thing? It's like that guy, you know what I'm saying? He's the anti. Sits in his underwear and checks the mail. That's what he does. My man is a loser. A stand-up guy. Yep. Check out Mike's podcast right here on the network. Uh, stories that need to be told. Stock tip, Dave. Uh, in closing, what do you have as a stock tip for us heading into this Memorial Day weekend? So this just happened yesterday. This you don't actually- have to give all, Dave. Give him the tip. Are you going to give him? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying because it's called Canopy Growth Corporation. It's a it's a Canadian weed company, and now it's, as of yesterday, it moved to the New York Stock Exchange. Oh. And so I bought it at ten dollars, and now it's at thirty, and now it's the first. First medical, oh, sorry, the first medical marijuana company for recreational purposes to be traded on the New York Stock Exchange starting yesterday. What's the symbol? Um, for the New York Stock Exchange, I don't know yet. There's like three of them because I bought it through the Toronto market. So it's like, it's either weed.to or TWMJF, but the New York Stock Exchange has a different ticker, but it's okay. the same company. But all you need to know is look up Canopy Growth Corporation. Can it be growth? Canopy, C-A-N-O-P-Y. Oh. Okay, Canopy Growth. The, the problem is you need that initial $10, right? That's where I'm fucked. Because uh, uh, yeah. now, now it's at Patrick, 30. you want to split a share yeah. with me? You got it. You got it, pal. The life of yeah. your chase and burn. Yeah. Can, can we give him a gentleman's dojo t-shirt instead yeah, of the $10? We'll yeah. We need something a little cheaper. I mean, if we have something cheap, I mean, right. I don't know what's going on with MoviePass, but MoviePass is Ooh, I heard they're having trouble, though. It's at 41 cents a share. Yeah, I bought a movie pass from Costco, and I heard they're having trouble that that may fold by the end of the year. They're not going to fold, though. I think someone's going to buy it. Someone's going to buy it. It, That's the best deal I've ever seen, by the way, is that, uh, you know, that whole, like, I paid $80 for this thing. You can go see tons of movies. It's great. And now it's $9.99 a month, and so they're they're collecting $10 a month and still paying $16 per ticket. So they're losing money for every member they get. And so they need to figure out how to turn it into like cash flow. So that's why it was it was at thirty six dollars last August. And now it's at forty one cents. And just the other day, just because I could, I bought like I bought like seven hundred shares for two hundred dollars. I was like, why not? <laughs> By the way, I think MoviePass is going to step up on some level. It's a great concept. So? Yeah, they got they're going to come out of this. Yeah, well. just like Blockbuster did. Like, Blockbuster MoviePass was, actually yeah. bought a piece of um, uh, the God, the Gotti movie that's coming out. By the way, all they have to do is lower their monthly. Well, it's nine. It's, that's loan. not the problem. The problem is it's nine ninety nine per member now, and for each nine ninety nine, if they go to five movies, they're paying. Let's say, let's say you go to four movies, they're paying like they're paying sixty four dollars for the ten dollars that they're getting from you. Oh, there you go. That's mm. not bad. That's all right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> stock tip, Dave. Thank you for joining yeah. us here on the gentleman's <laughs> dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What did you say? STD stock tip. Did you realize that's what it was? Yeah, they actually do. Like we do karaoke at goal. It'll say STD, and people are like, "What's STD?" Yeah, that's hilarious. There it is. That is it. That concludes another episode of the Gentleman's Dojo. Thanks everybody for listening. We apologize for the lack of being here a little more often, but Steve Byrne is on the road doing a movie. He's at the Columbus Funny Bone this weekend. Patrick, where are you and I coming up anytime soon? I think we're here. 
right? Yeah, yeah, we are local. Very yeah, yeah, local. Yeah. Our <laughs> schedule is local. available. <laughs> and uh, through, I, I love when clubs send us your avails. Well, why don't you just tell me what in the yeah. fuck is available? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 summer going back and forth and uh, not fall, hitting any pay winter. dirt. Yeah. Uh, thanks to everybody here at All Things Comedy. We appreciate it. And uh, keep listening to us here at the Gentleman's Dojo. Thank you to Mike Young. Thank you to Stock Tip Dave. Patrick Keene, I've been your co-host, Gary Cannon. Thank you, everybody. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Goodbye. That was great.